If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, episode number 204. Gold diggers, buckle up. The wisdom in this episode is insane. And Allie talks fast. So you got to listen fast. And you may have met her on a little show called NPR's How I Built This, one of my other favorite podcasts. Or you might know her from her little business called The Dry Bar, which is really far from little. Today's guest, Allie Webb, founded Dry Bar in 2010 after spending 15 years as a professional stylist. Allie first started Dry Bar as a side hustle where she would do weekly blowouts for her mommy friends, but word spread and it spread quickly. The business exploded strictly by referrals from loyal clients, which led her to the decision to expand her mobile operation to a physical location. The first dry bar opened in the Brentwood neighborhood of Los Angeles in 2010 and was an overnight sensation. Dry Bar has since expanded to over 100 locations throughout the country. Allie is still working passionately for Dry Bar, but also is focusing on empowering others to turn their passion and dreams into a reality. Webb's unique approach to business has awarded her numerous accolades. In 2013, Fast Company named her one of the 100 most creative people in business, and she was featured on the Cosmo 2013 Power List by Cosmopolitan Magazine. She's also included on the prestigious Fortune 40 Under 40 list, recognizing her as one of the top young businesswomen in the world. And today we get to learn how Allie turned a niche into a full-blown empire in eight years flat. Seriously, if you're in the beginning stages of dreaming up a business, if you're wondering how the heck to make a niche business sustainable, how to attract clientele, franchising, maybe you're like Allie and you're a stay-at-home mom and you know that you want to pursue something. We are going to talk about how Allie turned a very, very, very specific business into a total and complete empire. You know how I always say there are riches in the niches, and today's episode proves that. Before we dive on in, let me read you the review of the week from Nessie Ray. It says, 
I just found this podcast and I love what I've heard so far. Jenna answers all the questions I have that you can find by just typing them into a search engine. And it feels like she is sitting right here discussing the stuff with me over coffee. I am so excited to delve deeper into her work. Thank you so much, Nessie Ray. And for all of you listeners out there, and I know that there is a lot of you, if you have a minute today to leave a review, it really helps us land incredible guests just like Allie Webb. And so I don't want to hold you back any longer from her interview. Let's dive on in. Are you ready? You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Allie, I am so excited to have you on the show. This is so exciting for me. I recently listened to an old episode of you on how I built this. And I was like, we need her on the show. So Aww, thank, thank you. you for being here. Gosh, I'm so excited. I'm I'm such a fan of yours. So I'm so excited to be here and to, to talk to you, really. This is going to be so fun. So for those who don't know you and your story, can you kind of walk us through who are you? How is your path unfolded? And what is it that you do today? Well, I mean, I could take up, you know, three hours telling you all, all about who I am and how really Drybar came to be. But the short version is, you know, I'm a girl with naturally curly hair. I grew up in South Florida, where is, you know, the home of humidity and moisture in the air. So my, my very curly hair did not stand a chance. And even <laughs> as a little kid, I always loved or always was, was just so mystified and curious, like how, you know, the supermodels like the Christy Brinkley's of the world and everything got that, you know, bouncy, curly hair. And I just, you know, it was, it was like this thing that was always there for me. And, you know, fast forward to going to, you know, just high school and, and then figuring out what I wanted to do after that. I was very just kind of lost. And I felt like, you know, my friends were like knew what they wanted to do and they had their plan set. And I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. I thought I wanted to maybe do something in fashion. And anyways, you know, I went down a lot of different paths trying to figure out what the right thing was for me and ultimately decided to go to beauty school when I was in my early twenties, which you know, turned out to be the best decision I ever made because, you know, I felt like I was like finally with my people and learning and basically learning how to blow out my own hair, which was really the whole point, I think, of going to beauty school. But, <laughs> you know, and then I became a professional hairstylist. I learned how to like get my crazy frizzy hair under control and, and thought, you know, I was just going to be a hairstylist. And but it's funny because my brother, Michael Landau, who's my business partner in Drybar, was, we had actually worked together before I went to beauty school and that turned out to be a disaster. And but he was, he was very, and I can tell you more about that later, but he, um, he was really very supportive of me going to beauty school. Whereas my parents were not quite as think they didn't think it was like the best idea, which, you know, they just kind of didn't see what I saw, which was like going to New York and working on, you know, fashion shows and editorial. And ha I had this like grand plan. Of course I hadn't drummed up dry bar yet, but, but I did know I wanted to do something really great 
with hair. I wasn't just going to be, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but I didn't want to just like work in a salon as a stylist forever. I wanted to try lots of things. And anyways, I, so I spent the next, you know, seven, eight years working in hair. I moved to New York city, worked for one of the best salons in New York. And, you know, I was, I was like in the thick of it doing hair. I was the assistant for this amazing hairstylist in New York named John Zahag, who was very famous and was doing all the celebrities. And I, it was a great gig. I loved working in, in hair, but like a true 26-ish year old, I also was like, you know, I think I want to try something else. And so I got into PR and I got, a, you know, I just kind of jumped around and I met my husband when I was living in New York City. He worked in advertising and he also does all the creative for Drybar now. But we met in New York. We moved to LA, had a couple kids, and I became a stay-at-home mom living in LA. And I was very grateful to have you know the opportunity to stay at home and thought I'd like hit the jackpot because I didn't have to work anymore. But after, gosh, five years of being a stay-at-home mom, I just got like the itch to get back out there and do something for myself. And I think it was also like a combination of that and just I felt like I couldn't spend another day at the park and I needed to just do something for myself again. And so I decided like by sitting in my living room, talking to my best friend with our babies crawling around that I was going to start a mobile blow dry business. You know, I asked my friend what she thought who had naturally curly hair and knew always, always wanted me to blow out her hair. And all my friends knew that I could do blowouts because I'd spent all this time in, in this industry. So I decided to like post basically on one of these mommy blogs that I was in because I was very immersed in the LA mommy community. And I posted on one of the sites saying, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom, longtime hairstylist. And I'm thinking about starting a mobile blow-dry business where I come over and blow-dry your hair like while your baby's sleeping. And, you know, my goal was to like keep it really cheap so I get really busy. And <laughs> that was the game plan. And my friend and I were like, 40 bucks felt right because it was like 220s. It made it easy for people. And, and this was a way for me to get out of the house, talk to adults for a couple hours and like do it on my own terms. And so, and that's all it was. And as a like, you know, mom who'd been staying home with two little kids for five years, it was perfect. And, and I was so happy. And so I, I started this business. I got so busy so fast. And what I very quickly realized was there really wasn't a place for women to go like dry bar at that time. So when I would go to my client's house and I would do their hair and they loved it and I was only charging $40 and I was just getting so busy. But when I couldn't go to them, I'd always ask them like, well, what do you do if, you know, if I'm not available? And the answer was always, well, I either like begrudgingly sneak into like a discount chain where, you know, it's like, it's hit or miss variable pricing. You're sitting next to a kid getting a haircut, lighting's bad. Like they would literally tell me they put big glasses, sneak in and get out of there as fast as possible, which that's a terrible experience. And then, or there was the, you know, high end cotton color salons where you're totally overpaying for a blowout with a stylist who'd much rather be doing cotton color where like the real money is for them. And so the whole idea of dry bar just wasn't a thing. And I don't know why, but it just, and if you think back to like our grandmothers and our grandmother's generation, like they used to go to the beauty parlor once a week and get their hair coiffed and not touch it. And I think, you know, what dry bar, that behavior went away. And I think what dry bar has done is, is kind of, you know, modernize that behavior that we used to see all those years ago. And, and so anyways, you know, long story short ish, I just felt like 
there was maybe an opportunity to turn my mobile business into a brick and mortar. And instead of me going to my client's house, that they would come to me if I built a store. So I went to my brother, Michael, and my husband, Cameron, and they're both bald men. And you know, <laughs> they were like, you want to do what? And you know, my, my husband was very like instantly supportive, which is funny because he's an advertising guy. And if you know advertising people, they're pretty much like think everything is a bad idea. But <laughs> his whole thing was like, you get your nails done once a week. And I don't usually notice, but when you get a blowout, it's the first thing I notice. And he knows my hair and he knows that it's frizzy and crazy all the time. So when I get it, when it's like smooth and bouncy and pretty, he notices. And so he was like instantly sold. And it's like, I think this is like the next nail salon on every corner. And I think it, it like women will go crazy for this. And, and my brother took a little more convincing because his wife, God bless her, has that hair that dries, like stick straight, like the hair of my <laughs> dreams. And so he was like, Sarah doesn't need, doesn't have to really do anything to her hair. And I was like, well, Sarah is the 1% and she doesn't count. <laughs> because I was like, it's just like not like that for the majority of women. We all struggle with our hair and the hair is like a hard thing. And it, as it turns out, Sarah's in particular, but all women with straight hair want curls and volume and women with curly hair want straight hair. So as women, we just want, we can't have. So I built a business around that. And so anyways, we opened, I got them both on board. I got my brother to give me the money to open the first store. And I basically was, was a term that I hadn't learned or known before called sweat equity, which was, you know, me basically doing all the work and running the stores and him putting up the money. Because at that time, when we were first talking about opening this, we really didn't know you know, Michael was, was running another company. Cameron was a creative director at his advertising agency. And we, you know, none of us knew if this was going to actually work. So it was very much my thing in the beginning. And my brother felt like probably wouldn't see the money he lent me <laughs> ever again, but was willing to take a chance on me. And, and hopefully it would like provide me with a nice livelihood. And that would be, that would be it. And so that was like the big dream for the one store that we opened in Brentwood in 2010. You know, little did we know that we were about to like have a very life changing, you know, upside down experience of like, you know, really crazy success out of the gate. And that we found this thing that women that really, you know, resonated with women and women were, were loving it and coming out in droves. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. 
Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. When it comes to content creation, you either do it because you love it or because you know it's a powerful business tool. Now, either way, it takes a ton of work. Whether you're building your website from scratch or struggling to manage payments, you need Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate one-stop shop that's been my go-to for almost a decade. Yes, nearly a decade. It's designed to help creators and entrepreneurs build thriving online businesses with steady recurring income. Whether it's blogging, coaching, or podcasting, Kajabi makes it simple to transform your passion into profitable online courses, exclusive members sites, and so much more. Over the years, Kajabi has been my rock from hosting my signature courses like the Pinterest lab to handling transactions without taking a single penny of my money. That's right. You get to keep 100% of what you earn. With Kajabi, you get powerful analytics, simple payment options, effective email marketing tools, and beautiful website templates that you can customize. And here's a little secret. You don't need a massive following to earn a great income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi who are making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers, and you can be one of them. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash goal. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash goal. Join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion today at kajabi.com slash goal. Okay, I have a confession first before we go on. Uh Uh-oh. I've never gotten a blowout in my life beyond when I get my hair cut and colored. Really? Seriously. But we we've lived in tiny towns. Like it doesn't exist. I was so just gonna say we to drive on again, Duluth, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Well, we gotta work on that. We gotta I know. You, but, but I know you travel and you go to LA and you go to New York. You have to tell me next time you are somewhere like that and I'm gonna set you up, girl. You have you have two experiences. And and I do have like curly hair, so I am a hundred percent like I get it. So let's talk about this because something that I'm fascinated about in terms of business is like a niche business. And really, you kind of invented this whole new market that had never been done. And so can you kind of talk about how you navigated like creating a salon that was so specific in who it served and how it served the people? And were you worried about that at all? Yes. But I'll tell you, it's funny because it was not like a deliberate, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to change everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a business plan. It wasn't extremely thought out. I mean, the whole idea, like as, as they said, for my mobile business was like 220 sounds like a good business. Let's do it. You know? <laughs> and I don't have a college degree and I certainly don't have any kind of fancy MBA or anything like that. So, you know, but I was scrappy and my parents had their own business and I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment. So, I knew how to get done. And so anyways, I think what happened and the reason that I was so specific and what I wanted to do with Drybar was was really a, a combination of all the things that I had and experiences that I had accumulated in my life, like from working 
you know, at all at different types of hair salons and, and basically pulling the things that I liked and the things that I didn't like truly from a personal perspective. I mean, I loved, I cut hair for years, but I loved getting through the haircut to blow out the hair because that's when it like really came to life. And that's when the client got really happy. And that's when like, that was just the magical part for me, not to mention the fact that like, I still find it so awesome when my hair is blown out and smooth and pretty. And it's just like, I still get that like giddy, excited feeling. So I loved that always. And so, you know, working in hair salons, I, what I didn't love about traditional hair salons was like the cutthroatness and the petty and cattiness and the like, you're, you know, eat what you kill mentality and everybody's working for themselves. And that was like the bad part I felt of the salon industry. However, on the total flip side and you know, it's like our strengths are our weaknesses because stylists are like the most fun people to work with and they're creative and fun and energetic and they have all these great ideas. And so I loved that piece of it, you know? And so I felt like, I mean, before we even opened Brentwood and when I started interviewing stylists, I was very concerned that there wouldn't be enough stylists out there like me who just loved the styling part of it. You know, I thought like, I don't know if anyone is even going to want to work at dry bar. So that was, you know, that was the first obstacle, but you know, so to answer your question and sorry for going off track, but you know, it really was this, like, I'm just going to make this everything I want it to be from a stylist perspective and from a client's perspective, because I'm also like the pickiest client you'll ever meet. So, you know, everything from, I didn't want as a client, you know, when you're staring at yourself in a mirror for 45 minutes, getting a haircut or color, whatever you're doing, you, you know, we all start like picking ourselves apart and like, I look tired or my face looks fat or whatever. We do these things to ourselves as women. So I was like, we don't need a mirror because we're not cutting hair. We don't, you know, we don't need it for like measuring and making sure everything's even. It's like, it's a blowout. <laughs> so there's no permanent changes happening. So I was like, I don't want a mirror in front of clients. And I had learned from my mobile business that I was doing most of my clients like in their living room or kitchen, so never in front of a mirror. And when I was done with their hair, they'd run into their bathroom and there'd be this big like squeal of delight, like, oh my God, I love it. And so I was like, I want that. I want to capture that in dry bar. And so, you know, and I wanted it to be like an actual bar. And so we worked with our architect to like throw all the traditional things we'd all known about hair salons out the window and make it truly a bar. And that there's a flat screen TV playing a chick flick that's like a total guilty <laughs> pleasure and there's subtitles that are playing on it. So you're catching things that you may not have caught the first time you saw and loved that, you know, Sex in the City or, you know, Devil Rose Prada or whatever. And so it was about creating an experience. And I couldn't have told you, you know, eight plus years ago when we started this business that like I I was thinking about it like that. Like I was thinking I want to create an experience. Like I wasn't. I was just I couldn't have and didn't necessarily articulate it then, but I knew the things that I wanted again, as a client and as a stylist. And we made sure that with our architect that like the stylist had enough room, you know, to go between the chairs and, and that the cords were long enough so that the client didn't have to be moved, that the stylist would move around the client. Like there's a million of things like that. And those were just things that I, I just wanted. And, and I think that the fact that I come at this business with that unique perspective of a client and a stylist is why I really think the whole thing worked. And so, you know, that was, you know, that was the first store. And that was like, 
the dream to see if this even works. Like, will people even come, you know, and, and you know, luckily people came and they, <laughs> they really liked it. <laughs> so far, so good. Oh. Now we're in 107 stores. That's what I was just going to say, like, so what was the journey from one store to now a hundred million dollar business? Like, what have the last few years looked like for you personally as this visionary and CEO popping up locations all over the country? Well, I mean, it was, it's evolved so much as you would imagine. And, you know, the first, like the first couple of years, my brother and my husband and I were like, so bootstrapping it and so, so scrappy and just, you know, figuring it out and getting it done. And, you know, slowly but surely we started to hire like more people to help us and realize that we needed to hire people who were smarter than us and people (laughs) who had, you know, experience growing and scaling businesses. Because I think it was like, maybe around seven stores that we were like, you know, we're now going from managing, like, I don't know, we had like 60 or 70 stylists part-time in Brentwood. And then, and now, you know, you multiply that by like seven or eight stores and that's a lot of people. And we were like, and you know, and I was like, I don't think anybody really wants me doing payroll, which I was doing every job at that time, which by (laughs) the way, I do think is an important like rite of passage for any entrepreneurs. You have to be able to do every job. So, and I did, and I just, it just got like a little, we just felt like we were getting a little ahead of our skis and needed somebody to help us, you know, not bounce checks and not forget to pay people and forget to do all the stuff that you forget when you're, you know, one person or three or just five. So, so hiring ahead of the curve was a big thing for us. And then that just kind of is what continued to happen, you know, is we, as we decided that we had really like, you know, struck a chord here, had lightning in a, in a bottle, like it was like, okay, we're going to really either blow this out, no pun intended, there's so many puns, (laughs) and make this like a thing and then really like open a bunch of stores and bring this to women everywhere. Because we were, by the way, also starting to get a lot of copycats, you know, or we're not, but if we were going to, which obviously we did, we knew we had to, you know, start raising money because we couldn't organically grow. So then, you know, when we started talking to bankers about raising, you know, lots of money, and when I say lots of money, we're talking like $20 million was like our first or 16 million was our first big tranche of money because that got us to open a bunch more stores and start the product line. And so, you know, it was like baby steps getting to all these different places and then, you know, hiring more and more infrastructure. And and again, more and more smart people who had experience and things that, that we didn't. And so, you know, that like every year brought kind of new people, new expansion, you know, so many new learnings and, and, you know, every year we've gotten better and better at opening up new stores. And and now it's like, I hesitate to say it's a well-oiled machine because it doesn't feel quite like that. It does feel like even we just opened our 107th store this past weekend in Calabasas. And, you know, I did have this moment of walking in the store and feeling like, wow, everything's like good. And I used to walk in stores on opening days, like stressed out beyond belief <laughs> because, you know, there was the music wasn't loud enough. The stylists like weren't trained enough that, you know, there was like, it just like it wasn't clean enough. The product shelf. I mean, I could go on and on, but like, and now we have so many people who are dealing with those things and they're in their lane and they know what they should be doing. So, you know, it's gotten so much better and easier for me personally. And it's funny. I just listened to, I don't know if you've listened to this yet, but the, which I think I'm actually kind of late to the party on this, but the Goop podcast where Gwyneth interviews Oprah, which is like 
if you haven't listened to it, it's so good. And, and I actually, I mean, I'm so not like a note taker. I never take notes on anything, but I was like literally hiking and listening to this podcast and found myself taking notes about things <laughs> Oprah was saying. And I, I actually ended up posting some of them. But one of the things she said was like, I, she said, I, you know, basically I'm, I'm misquoting a little, but basically said like, I keep really smart people around me. So I'm free to be with my thoughts. And I was like, that's how I feel, Oprah. You know, um, can we you know, be I mean, best I was, friends? I know. I was like, maybe me and Oprah are, are meant to, to know each other. But you know, but it's true because I think you know, I, I'm telling you that story and the story of hiring people because there certainly was this like, you know, downside to all of that, which is giving up control and allowing other people to make decisions and and it not always being the decision you want or think is exactly right. But and that has been probably the single biggest challenge for me personally to just like take deep breaths and say, this is not how I would have done it or I don't love it this way. But like also getting to the point where I realized like, okay, the whole business isn't going to fall apart because of this one decision that I don't agree with, which is by the way, how I felt all the time when, and it, I would get like a fire in my belly and just be so frustrated. And like, this is not how I want it done, you know, but again, you know, I mean, you can imagine what it's like to be in my head, you know, on the other side of it, I'm like, well, you know, I guess it's not that big of a deal. And, the, and then the other like side of me is like, no, I'm so mad. Like, this is not how I want it, you know? And, but it's kind of coming to terms with all of that and, and finding a balance. And we brought on a professional CEO about four years ago, this amazing guy, John Hefner, who had worked in founder led companies. And, you know, he was, he's really helped me like find some like inner peace with it and learn how to elevate and all of that. So, you know, it's been one big, great learning experience with lots of ups and downs, but I have to say more ups than downs for sure. It's crazy to just think about how, you know, you're a stay at home mom, and then you have this personal need, and then you create a solution. And now it's turned into this crazy giant empire. What did you deal or I guess, did you deal with any naysayers or were your parents on board? Because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the fact that not everyone buys into their vision and they're too afraid to navigate through that. Yeah, I hear that a lot too. And I think that, you know, every woman I spoke to about the idea of dry bar, especially the women who are already like my clients in my mobile business thought of it was like a genius idea. Like, you know, like you said, women just get it. There was definitely a lot of men who didn't get it and didn't understand it. And then, and then even once we had opened a handful of stores, there was, and we were trying to raise, you know, institutional money. There was still a lot of men who were like, I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you scale this thing? Because, <laughs> you know, our whole thing is like, we really do need to do the volume is the name of the game. Again, mm -hmm. not hair volume, which is still part of the game, but <laughs> more, you know, we need to do like a hundred women, give or take per store. And that's a lot of blowouts. That's a lot of density, a lot of women. So, you know, I think there was a lot of doubt that we could actually pull off those numbers, but I knew we could because I, I've been, you know, I'm in this business every single day and I see how many people are coming in and I see the demand and the fact that like, we could be doing more business, but we just have to figure out how to get more stylists too. Like I, you know, I knew all of that. And, and of course you can try to explain that, but there's just, you know, it, it was such a foreign concept to so many men. And, and when you were raising institutional money, a lot of those 
companies are, you know, full of men. And so that was a little bit of an annoying uphill battle. And it wasn't until Castanea, who's our private equity, one of our private equity partners now came along and Janet Gerwich, who's the founder of Laura Mercier Cosmetics was a partner in Castanea. And of course she got it. And that like kind of got us a little over the hump. And at the time Castanea had owned Urban Decay and they knew retail and they knew beauty. So that ended up being the right fit for us, which I think, you know, to your question is, you know, you, if you think you have a good idea and, you know, you think you really have something there, like you keep pushing. And, you know, if, if in fact it is a good idea, which, you know, not every idea is a good idea, but if it is, you know, there's, I believe there's a very good chance that like somebody somewhere will believe in it. And, and for us, it really wasn't all that hard to get people to believe in us. And before, you know, sorry, but to back up before even private equity and then we raised big money. We raised money from angel investors, friends and family, people who had come into Dry Bar and just obsessed with the concept and wanted in. You know, so, you know, when you have people who are, you know, rooting for you and think your idea is a good idea, that's I think when you know like, okay, let me keep pushing on this. And and I mean listen, I think that if you have this idea and every single person you've told about it doesn't think it's a good idea, like you may want to look a little deeper and, and like see if this is a good idea. Because I think you need some sort of support group somehow, not necessarily financially, but somebody, you know, who believes that you really trust and respect, you know, believes in this idea or this thing that you want to do. And and those are the people I think you really focus on and have blinders to and like, okay, we're going to get this done. And I, I know I can do it. But you have to be objective too. And, and also have to be able to like execute and, you know, all that other stuff. (laughs) Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I love that. One thing I'm so curious about is what was it like when you started franchising? Like, was it scary to have your name attached to something so big? And like, how did you kind of get to the place where you could trust that people are going to fulfill your vision that you had for your business? Because at this point, it's like your baby and you're like handing it over. And I can only imagine that wasn't easy. Well, we did early on franchise because it was a way to grow and kind of flag plant, you know, and, and get get more locations open in more cities. But to your point, I was very, very uncomfortable with it. And my brother, Michael, was really the one who more pushed for that because it was a means to grow and it was a way for us to grow more quickly. And so I got on board with it because I understood that. And I said, you know, okay, but yes, I was like very skeptical because I didn't want anybody you know, ruining the brand. And I, and it's like, it's a double-edged sword because people who want to franchise a concept, to me, the best franchisee is a franchisee who's going to come in and say, I want to do it exactly how you are doing it. I love this brand. I don't want to change a thing. I just want to, you know, be successful. And, And we, and I'll tell you the vast majority, if not all of our franchisees are like that, but they are still entrepreneurs. So as entrepreneurs, we have ideas and like, we want to try things out ourselves. So it's a real like tough thing to find people who will really honor what you've built and not try to change it and not, you know, try to like, quote unquote, make it better or different or add makeup because people are asking for makeup, you know? (laughs) And so that was something that was really challenging for me. And so while we did initially franchise a handful of stores in the early days, we then pulled back and decided not to franchise for those very reasons. And then we probably spent the next four or five years like totally opening company-owned stores. So with the fleet of 107 stores we have, I'd say about 30-ish of them are franchised. So the majority is still company-owned, but we definitely have a franchise business too, where it's very, it's a very, very vetted business. I think we get something like 10,000 franchise requests a month, like something oh insane. Gosh. And we have a team of people who vet all of those. And then, you know, a very, you know, few people get through, you know, because there's a lot of criteria that you have to meet. And like I said before, you know, we want people who, who love the brand, who don't want to change it and just want to, you know, help it flourish and grow in their city. And, and so it's, it's a lot of things that go into to making sure that we, that we have that right person. And I mean, we've made wrong decisions and we've had to buy some franchise back and, you know, and it's like, it's a really, to your point, it's a really important part of the business because I don't, you know, ever want, you know, the brand to be tarnished. And frankly, you as a consumer should never know which ones are franchise and which ones aren't because, you know, if if everybody's doing their job right, you know, you have the same experience, whether you're in New York, LA, DC, Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, like it doesn't matter. You shouldn't know if it's franchise, you should just have this one great experience if everybody's doing their jobs. Okay, so I'm dying to know because I work with my family as well. So fill us in on your relationship with your brother. How has it changed? What do each of you bring to the table? Would you recommend getting into business with family? Like people ask me this all the time and I would love to hear your perspective on it, Allie. Well, and I'm sure you probably agree with this. I mean, I'm very close to my family and my brother and my husband are my best friends. So we really all enjoy working together. And I think that, you know, my brother and I, we've always been so super close. And, you know, my parents would tell you that they thought like, you know, when they brought me home from the hospital, Michael 
was like, it was, I was like a little gift for him. You know, I mean, he really like took me under his wing and my parents would tell you that he really raised me. And I always went to him for everything. And he was like my big brother that I trusted implicitly. And and that relationship has always been our relationship. And it was only when, which I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, it was only like this one time when we actually worked together previously. We both were working for Nicole Miller. It was back when I thought I wanted to be in fashion. And and then we moved from New York City back to Florida where we were raised and opened a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques and we almost killed each other. And that, <laughs> and that was like the worst thing that ever happened to our relationship. And I think we were just too young and and experience and whatever to work together at that point in our lives. But, you know, and it was really upsetting because we were always so close. And then all of a sudden we just had this, this tumultuous relationship, which was very unsettling. And that's when I decided to go to beauty school and all that. But, you know, fast forward to deciding to work together, which my parents, by the way, were like, you guys almost killed each other with Nicole Miller. Like why in the world would you go back together? you know, and work together. But, you know, we had grown and we were, we were much more mature. And, and the other great thing about it, and I think to answer your question about working with family and the reason it works for us is because, you know, my brother was always like far and away, like the overachiever of the family and like, just super like, you know, smart and always like, just always was like, the getting everything done and had an answer for everything where I was more of like this, <laughs> my parents were like, you know, what the hell is Allie going to do with her life? I was very like quiet and, and it took me a while to come into my own. But so when we decided, and I went to my brother because I was having success in my mobile business and said, you know, I want to turn this into a brick and mortar and I want us to do this together. And, you know, there was a lot of like come to Jesus conversations about like what we can do and what we can't do and how to, to not push each other's buttons the way we did in the Nicole Miller days. And so there was a very like important like level set that happened there. But there was also this, this great thing because I knew the hair business incredibly well. And my brother knew nothing about the hair business, but my brother was a really smart businessman, but he trusted me implicitly because I knew this business and he didn't. So it was very rewarding, which we just talked about this on our show on our podcast last week, because it was very rewarding for me and frankly, for my parents, you know, to be like the one who really knew this business. You know, I had to teach Michael all about the salon world. I mean, he as a bald guy knew nothing. And so there was this level of respect that he and trust that he really trusted that I understood this business well and and I trusted him of course with business. And so we and and then when you add my husband into the equation that's, you know, branding and creative, we trusted him implicitly with that. So I think the fact that we all three have such specific skill sets that we stay very focused in and don't overlap too much, you know, allows for this very fluid relationship where nobody feels threatened and, and we aren't all stepping on each other's toes all the times and, and, and having arguments about who's right about things because, you know, the person who owns that particular area is the person that makes the decision in that area. And that, and I think that's how and why it's worked. And it's always my advice to entrepreneurs who are even if you're not getting into business with your family, like your best friend or just someone you know, like have those clearly defined roles established day one. So everybody knows what they're doing and there's a level of trust and you're not always trying to be the one who's making every single decision, you know, because you don't know everything, you know, in that and you know what you know and she knows what she knows, you know. And so that's how I think it's worked for us. And that's the best advice that I can give people is, is really understanding your your best and highest use. I love that. And speaking of you and your brother, you guys are still expanding. I mean, you have products now. You also have a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about branching out and doing new things and introducing new things for your audience? The product line came about four years after we 
started the business and I had always wanted a product line because I felt like, you know, we were using a mishmash of products from all different, different hairlines and they didn't work together. And so I really was very eager from like the first store to get that done. But of course it did, it took time and it happened about four years in. And once we had money and I could actually like make a product line or raise money, I should say. And so now, you know, the product line has become a really massive part of the overall business and we're in Sephora and Ulta and Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's and QVC. And so the product line has been really fun and exciting because it's largely built from what our clients and stylists are asking for and need in the shops. And that's really how we determine what goes in the line. And so that's, you know, a huge thriving part of the business that I'm, you know, I oversee and I'm very excited about because I, you know, geek out on products, as you might imagine. And then... The podcast is, you know, was really built out of, you know, me and my brother both feeling like we're constantly approached by by other entrepreneurs all the time about how do you raise money and how did you know when to raise money and how do you scale a business and how do you how do you learn about branding and how do you hire and you know the list goes on and on and obviously we're really busy and you know I don't have time to sit down and have coffee with everybody who asks me, you know, for fifteen minutes of my time so. That was really part of, you know, the the reason for wanting to start our own podcast, which is called Raising the Bar, appropriately. <laughs> and, you know, it's really basically a show where my brother and I are are giving advice to on, other entrepreneurs that we're bringing on the show who are in those early, you know, stages of, of growing their business. And then other entrepreneurs like that are extremely established already that have these great businesses. Like our first interview, our first guest was Sarah Michelle Geller, who has had tremendous success with foodsters. And, you know, we have, we had Curtis Stone, who's a celebrity chef. And then we've had, you know, people that you probably have never heard of, but it's, you know, when we talk to these people about growing their business, we're giving back advice to them and to our audience about, you know, the experiences and the things that we've learned over the last, you know, seven, eight years or gosh, eight, nine years growing dry bar. And so it's been partly therapeutic for us. And and Michael and I just come at the business in such different ways. We're such different people. You know, I'm so like everything happens for a reason. And I believe in the secret and all of that stuff where my brother is so like nuts and bolts by the books kind of guy. And so we have very different perspectives and a really funny banter that I think people like and, you know, like hearing, you know, different sides of the coin on different subjects. So it's been a lot of fun and we're, you know, we answer like DMs live on the show and then we, you know, we talk to entrepreneurs and we talk about things that we personally love and businesses that we love. So it's been a great way, I think, to connect with our audience without, you know, having the opportunity to, to literally connect with everybody one-on-one. Oh, podcasting is so fun. It's so much more work than people assume, but it is so worth it. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I, it really is a lot of work. Oh, I love it. Okay. So we're going to go into kind of a lightning round of sorts. And these are just questions that I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear from you. So what would you say is the most impactful thing you've learned from starting your business? I think probably being open to feedback. You know, I think as a general rule, most people don't love hearing bad stuff, which neither do I, but you know, I think it's, it's crucial to improving and growing your business and making sure that you are in fact, listening to what your customers, your employees, people are telling you. And also don't get yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by a bunch of yes people who won't really tell you the truth, you know? So being open and people around you knowing you're open to like hearing it all, I think is really crucial to, to making sure that your business continues to grow and thrive. I love that. And how have you personally 
personally changed as a person throughout your business and your career? Mm, that is a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to say I don't really think I've, I've changed per se, but I think I've I think I've gotten a lot smarter. <laughs> I think I've learned a lot of lessons. I think I've learned so much this business. And I, I think I mentioned to you before that I, I feel like it's like been a bit of an education. Like I feel like I've kind of earned an MBA in, in business because of all the things I've had to learn from a lot of things I've talked to you about, like growing a business, scaling a business, hiring, raising money, branding. Like I've learned so much in nine years, which again is why like I want to do things like have a podcast because I feel like so many people have been so great to me and given me so much help and advice over the years and I want to kind of pay it forward and do that same thing. So I think I've changed maybe as a professional and I think I've come into my own maybe. I think I'm, gosh, knock on wood, I think I'm probably the happiest like I've ever been in my life and I love where I'm at and you know, and what we've built. And yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing I feel like I'm very proud and it's a pretty amazing place to be. I love that. What is your dream right now? Like, what are you dreaming about? What are you excited about? What's coming up for you that gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I'm excited for, I'm such a like, I thrive on like newness, Mm -hmm. which is like a blessing and a curse, right? (laughs) Because it's like, you know, well, like my, my, it like drives my husband crazy because I just love new things. And I think with that, it's not necessarily just things, although I am like a shopaholic and love, <laughs> you know, a new cute outfit, but I also in the same vein, like love a new opportunity. And obviously like the podcast has afforded me this kind of new muscle to flex that I'm learning and excited about. And, you know, I have a lot of kind of new opportunities that are on the horizon for me personally and dry bars testing some new things now. And I think that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is is keeping it new and fresh and finding new things to be excited about and look forward to. And I, and I think I'm sure everybody is different in that regard. And I think some people are very comfortable, you know, staying things kind of staying as they are. I think I kind of thrive on that, you know, that everything is always kind of changing, evolving and like what's next, like what's around the corner. That's very exciting to me. I love that. And Lastly, what is the single best piece of advice, business-wise, life-wise, anything-wise that you want to leave our listeners with today? Be kind. You know, I think that, I think it holds true for not only like life and personal and friendship, but in business too. You know, I think that like my parents always said, you get more with, what is it? You get more with honey Mm -hmm. than vinegar. Is that the statement? Something like that. Because it's like, and I remember my father always saying to me, like, don't mistake kindness for weakness, you know? And I, and that always really stuck with me too. And my parents had a lot of those things that really like are so ingrained in, in me that, and like pretty is as pretty does. Like that was a big thing for my dad. And, and I think I grew up with those values and morals of, you know, be really nice to people and treat people really well. And, and I think it always, I'm also a big believer in karma and that everything comes back around and, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I think that's, I think that's how I live my life. That's how I, that's how I feel like I operate from a business perspective and from a personal perspective. I'm I'm not claiming that I'm always, I'm, I'm always as good as I want to be, but I think it's something that is always like replaying in the back of my mind of trying to come at things from a nice place and trying to, you know, see the good in people and not, you not be negative and, and lead from a place of kindness. And, and again, not to be mistaken with weakness, but 
you know, I think that's always kind of been my guiding light. I love that. Allie, where can everyone connect with you? Check out the dry bar, check out your podcast, give us all the places that we can know you a little bit better. So, well, if you want to buy products or book a blowout, you can go to thedrybar.com and it's thedrybar.com. But we also have an app that you can download for free that you can also get products on. You can book a blowout. It'll actually show you the closest dry bar to you or from wherever you're physically standing. And then for me personally, I'm just Allie Webb, A-L-L-I-W-E-B-B on Instagram. My podcast is called Raising the Bar, which you can get really anywhere you get podcasts. And I also have a book that is a as a guide to getting a great blowout at home called, oh my God, I just blanked on the name <laughs> of my book. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's called good hair for all the guide to getting a perfect blood. Oh my God. What a, like a brain fart that just was. I released it three years ago, so it's not as fresh in my mind, but it is a really great tool for, for girls that don't have a dry bar near them and want to learn tips and tricks, even learning how to do your bangs. So the dry bar guide to good hair for all is, is also on Amazon And yeah, I think that's all my stuff. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I just, I'm so inspired by your story. I love following you. you. One of these days we're going to be in the same city at the same time and we can hurry together and get room service in the hotel. (laughs) Oh my God, that sounds like a dream. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for showing up today. And I cannot wait to keep following your adventures. Well, the same for you. And I can't wait to, for you to have that baby. And I'm sure you will post the cutest oh, pictures ever. Wait. No, Do you know what you're having? Total by surprise. The way? We're not going to find out. Oh my God. You're one of those. You're not <laughs> finding out. Did you find <laughs> out? That's Well, that's exciting. Well, I did find out with my first son, but I didn't find out with my second son and which who I totally was convinced was a <laughs> Would girl, you do it so. again to not find out? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I just wouldn't do it again and period. My kids are 11 and 13. So that, that ship has sailed. It. But my brother just had a baby and he had a girl. So I'm, I'm getting to be an aunt and to a little girl. So oh, she's going to be spoiled, isn't she? <laughs> oh, she sure is. Well, I told you that Allie is amazing, but wow. When I just think about how different her life was, being a stay-at-home mom and having this simple idea of a way that she could solve a problem that she was experiencing herself and how she turned that into a $100 million business. I mean, doesn't that just blow you away? The opportunities are absolutely endless. And it's so fun to watch Allie take all the knowledge that she's gleaned over the last eight years and share it with the world on her very own podcast. I am so excited to have the opportunity to speak with women every single week, just like Allie. And I just want to take a second and say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making this show one of the top shows on the iTunes charts. And thank you for your support. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's show or any other show for that matter. Head on over to Gold Digger Podcast on Instagram. Let me know what you think. And of course, go say thank you to Allie Webb for showing up for us today. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And I'm just really glad that I'm in your earbuds hanging out with you. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.
Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.